Hello and welcome to Solutions the Podcast, everyone. My name is Imar Henry. I'm your host today. And today I'm here with my two co-hosts. Hello, I'm Janai Pearson, your co-host. Hey guys, I'm Solomar Maldonado. And today we will be having a walk with a businessman. We have a special guest with us, Mr. William McCormick. Oh, hello. Welcome. Yeah, happy to be here. Mr. Yes. McCormick here is an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, a TEDx speaker, and part of the board of directees for Florida Memorial University, where he is the chairman. He is also the CEO of AmeriClaims Billing, Inc. He is the creator and founder of Champions Charity, Inc., as well as being the founder of this channel, Solutions to Podcast. Thank you for being here with us, Mr. McCormick. It's my honor. Nice to be here. Yes. And Mr. Um, Mr. McCormick, I'd like to thank you for being here again. I'd like to congratulate you on your second successful annual Champion Charity event. It was a pleasure working with you and putting things together behind the scene. What an experience that was. So I'd like to ask, how are you feeling during that process? Well, uh, as you know, it's a busy moment, but um, with your help and help of other volunteers and supporters and sponsors, the second annual South Florida HBCU Golf Classic was a success. Mm -hmm. uh, we were able to raise $102,000 to support scholarships for students matriculating at Florida Memorial Universities and other HBCUs. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it's, it's my premier event, and uh, I get excited about getting it all put together and it's a, it's a fun thing to do. That's definitely that's definitely going to go far. So I want to ask you, um, how old were you when you first figured what you wanted to do and be in life? Um, actually, I was 11 years old and I always dreamed of being an entrepreneur because I had a chance to uh, encounter that relationship with a local businessman in my hometown who always had money and he was always in charge. And I was influenced by that and I wanted to be my own boss so i would say 11 years old 11 years old that's good and um also was there anything about your person whether internally or externally that you figured that you had to alter to fit the position that you wanted to be in well um i, I took the approach that you got you have to constantly learn and um uh, I, I treated it that way i wanted to you know constantly read meet people who were uh, successful in business um, I learned the people skills of, you know, not everyone being a stranger to me. So I was built a level of confidence to go and speak with people and shake hands and smile. And and um, and I love crowds. So because I, I want to mingle and learn people, because I think everybody has some uniqueness. That's and nice. if you uh, connect with them, then you learn that uniqueness and you can learn from it. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's my turn, Mr. McCormick. And before I start, um asking you some questions. I would also like to congratulate you on your successful speech on TEDx. Um, would you please tell us how did you prepare for this specific speech? Well, my uh, speech on TEDx actually was, um, actually it's my life story. Today, actually it's my father's birthday. Oh. Uh, so that TEDx speech um, was a combination of experiences that I encountered as a young kid. Um, and, um, I, I use part of uh, human behavior to serve other people as my therapy. And um, I, I just got to a point where I felt that I needed to share that story. And by sharing that story on TEDx, I had thousands and thousands of people who have reached out to me to say thank you for, you know, sharing that they had some similar experiences. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it gave them a new life about serving, about giving, 
uh, and about helping other people. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's part of my life that kind of built the character sort of sense. Um, uh, I, I just wish, you know, like most kids take for granted having parents around. Um, I, I wish I had that opportunity, but I had village parents, people who were concerned about my welfare, concerned about me as a person. They motivated me. They encouraged me. And I always said when I got to a point in life, I would do the same thing. Okay. And this is was surely a very emotional speech. I heard it myself. And even I was affected and I got emotional. And like during this process of preparing it, how did you prepare your own emotions while doing this? Um, uh, it's it's kind of unique because when I first applied, I had to send a transcript mm-hmm. and the our evaluators sent back remarks as if you're going to read us, you're going to really tell us this story. And they got, you know, they wanted more clarity on, on my position. And, um, once I was able to, to do that, I went to rehearsal. Um, it was always in my mind. It, it's, it's, it's time to, to just let it go. Uh, my search was over. I, 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 I literally 40 years, uh, tried to figure out what is it that you know, that my dad, who was a genius, mm-hmm. who solved everybody's problem, didn't have the answer to his own problem. Mm. And that was the frustrating part for me, not knowing that he didn't have an answer for himself, but he had answers for everyone for all his life. And um, so I went on this journey to try to find what could it have been that I came up empty handed. So I concluded that, you know what, it wasn't meant for me to find out. Um, and uh, I'll go on with my life and you know, it's been my own self-motivated uh, factor to, to do more and to help more. Okay. And then, like, this is this was definitely a huge challenge in your life, having to deal with this. So besides this, what other challenges or off-road events did you encounter while working towards your goal? Well, there's always, um, the closer you get to your dream, um, obstacles appear. I've learned that over the years. I've also learned that the people you think is going to help you will not be there to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, I also encountered um, that every level of success, there's a dream devil waiting to try to kick you off your pathway. Um, and I learned that early on just to stay focused. Um, what I see in my mind and what I feel in my heart is real. And I take that approach to conquer it. Um, uh, many of my friends would tell you uh, when we entertain, I don't drink, I don't smoke. I can dance a little bit, but <laughs> but but I don't I don't get influenced by what other people say or do mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. my vision in my mind is so clear, and when I see it, I have to get it because I've in the past when I've done that I've tasted the success of it, mm-hmm. so I know what it tastes like. I know what I have to do, and so so that's kind of like my my own personal drive. To, to be excellent at everything I do and to fulfill, it, fulfill everything that I set out to do. Based off of what you said, I kind of have a question. You were like, uh, you've been searching for an answer. You didn't find one. So you kind of, you just realized maybe, you know, it's not for you to find. What do, how do you feel about maybe you did find your answer? It's just not formulated exactly how you thought it would be. That, that's a good perspective. Uh, I mean, searching, you know, I mean, I talked to hundreds of people, mm-hmm. normal coworkers, uh, people, neighbors, friends of his over the years i've literally from age 11 until an adult i was on this odyssey to find what could have been the problem and i I kept getting 
nowhere or I wouldn't get an answer that I wanted to accept because no one had an answer. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I just assumed that it wasn't supposed to be for me to get an answer. And that's, that's after 50 years, I figured, you know, well, 40 years, I figured that was it. That's how many people that helped. Maybe that was the answer. Uh, you know, they, it could be all the people that he helped. I remember we couldn't check out books in the library mm -hmm. and he got with a friend and they wrote a grant to the Carnegie foundation and he had a bookmobile. He would ride through the community and let kids check out books. It was called the green turtle and kids in four or five counties, not just my hometown, surrounding mm -hmm. counties. He would drive this bookmobile through the community so kids can check out books to read. Um, I have fun memories of the things they did to try to impact the young people and, and the community. So that stays with me. All right. Okay. That's good. Um, now I have a few questions for you. Um, how long did it take to, for you to begin pursuing your career? Well, I, um, when I graduated from college, um, and, um, 1987 from Florida Moore University. Uh, I had my bachelor's degree. I was really ready to go and uh, start work. Uh, I, I landed a job actually at American Express. I was in the gold car customer service division. And, um, but baseball had not matured yet. And then when I signed with the Chicago White Sox, it was, uh, pro baseball was never my dream. Mm -hmm. um, but I love baseball because it paid for my college education. Right. It was my gateway off the streets. It was my pathway to competition mm -hmm. and vision and all the strategic thinking I got from the game of baseball. Oh. So that, that that's where it all came from. And, I, and at that time is when I realized, hey, it's time to go make it happen. All right. Mm -hmm. um, all right, quick question. From like a scale of one to 10, how good were you at baseball? 11. 11. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 um, I told the story. Um, I, did, I couldn't afford a glove to play a base, mm -hmm. like first base, outfield, a pitch. And I learned that the team supplied the catcher's mitt. So I took that position because I never had to buy a glove. The team always provided that glove. And I remember Mr. Ernest Harvey, God bless his soul, who was not only the baseball coach, he also was the baseball coordinator for the for the kids in, at the park. Mm -hmm. And I remember him telling me, he said, and I quote, son, that's your glove, that's your position, and don't let nobody take it away from you. I will never forget that. I literally thought that glove was mine and that catcher's equipment was mine. <laughs> so I played that way. I played hard because he gave me the authority to control my space. And uh, at 11 years old, it was powerful. And I, even today, I, I use part of that metaphor to uh, to claim my space. Yes. All right. That's very interesting. All right, everyone. Um, we will be going on a quick commercial break. We will be right back. Healthcare providers, are you experiencing denied or unpaid medical claims? Let the experts at AmeriClaims Billing advocate on your behalf. AmeriClaims will challenge insurance companies to get you paid. Call now at 954-800-8387 or visit us on the web www.americlaimsbilling.com.
Hello and welcome back to Solutions the Podcast. We are still here with um, Mr. William McCormick. No. Janai, do you have any questions? I do. Uh, Mr. McCormick, where are you originally from? Pelham, uh, Georgia. Pelham, Georgia. Okay, so Pelham, Georgia, a small town? Very small town. So how did it feel coming from Pelham, Georgia, a small town, to the big city of Miami on a baseball scholarship? Well, uh, my hometown is very small. It, uh, probably less than 4,000 people, including the cat, dogs, and cows. It's a very small, <laughs> quaint town. Everything works in sequential order. Uh, when I got to Miami and um, to attend Florida Moore, um, uh, on a baseball scholarship, it was new to me because they had this, um, I always tell uh, the new baseball players this story, they had a standing rule that freshmen didn't start. You had to wait a year, so you had to ride the bench. And, uh, and so the upperclassmen always was like, you know, you know, you're crab, you do this, you do that. You know, you was kind of like being initiated. Mm-hmm. So I raised my hand after the first practice to, you know, okay. to the team and says, so let me, I have a question. So if I'm the best player, am I going to be on the bench or be on the field? And the senior that, and the captain of that team, Mr. James Bird from Jacksonville, Florida, says mm-hmm. to me, well, you one of four catchers. Uh, who to say you're going to be on the field? And I remember being, they thought I was a smart addict, but I says, the other three can transfer because this is my spot and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be the starting catcher. Mm-hmm. And so it will be after four years. I was the only catcher on the roster. I caught every game for all four years, including double hitters. And I still have the home run record at the university. Um, I was literally determined to prove to them that I was the best catcher at the university and I was going to start. And I didn't care if I was 17 years old. Uh, my goal was to be the starting catcher on that team. And I eventually became captain two years of the four. Mm, so you you broke the record. You were the freshman catching. I was the freshman. And that rule is no longer exist, by the way. They call it the Georgia Bar rule. The best players that's, are That's be. pretty impressive. The Georgia Bar rule. Yes. Oh. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Um, so I have um, another question. What do you believe was one of your biggest enhancements in your career? Um, enhancement in the sense of? Something that you worked towards to improve on it. Oh, me. My own personal development. Uh, I, I, did, I don't settle for status quo. Uh, I stay up all night mm-hmm. to win, to prepare. Um, I believe investing in me because when I'm when I'm out there, I'm representing not only me. I'm representing my family. I'm representing my hometown. I'm representing my university. I represent my employees. I represent my industry. So I've always had to constantly improve myself. Things that I were not so good at, I I got real good at because of I made that investment. So invest in you because you're the investment that needs to be invested in. You the brand. Okay. Yes. Oh, all right. Um. Yeah. Uh, Solomar, what do you have any questions? Yeah, I have a question. So we were mentioning about the challenges that you passed through, right? And then like these challenges at some point can like make you stop dreaming at some point because of how hard they come, right? And so besides um dreaming, right? Do you think you can you should wait on like material things or like luck? So that it can bring you to success, or do you think you should just run after that dream, no matter the obstacle? Well, I mean, luck is luck, timing, 
and blessings um, is the magic equation. Mm-hmm. But that's only part of it. Then you have to be prepared and determined. When you put those five things together, you have a real good shot at getting what you see as a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, I never, I never had um, the worryation about not getting what I was was visualizing or pursuing. Uh, my dream belongs to me, and I knew I had to, you know, go through the trials and tribulations. Um, and I, I'm just a very determined person. I don't know why. Um, that that is like the forefront of my attitude, but I, I don't like to lose. I'm not a mm-hmm. sore loser, mm-hmm. but I don't like to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I have learned that I am the only person that knows if I'm giving a hundred percent, and that's my goal is to give a hundred percent. Got it. Okay. And how important is it to have backup pathways or backup dreams? Um, well, there's always say never put all your eggs in one basket. Um, hmm. oh, wow. but, but my, my, um, my vision and my dream has always been to be an entrepreneur. Okay. Um, now the question would be what type of entrepreneur? There's just some industries that no matter how much money, um, people may, I won't, I won't be an entrepreneur in those industries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done that. I've, I've chosen healthcare and pharmaceutical, uh, because I think the greatest need in the world is people's health and you'd be able to serve some kind of capacity to help them, you know, resolve their health issues. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. You, you actually just answered one of our questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a good thing we have other questions prepared. Uh, you, t- you were talking about how um, you don't really settle for the status quo and you always want to win. But um, how important do you believe is uh, taking care of yourself and giving yourself a mental break from life? Yeah, I learned that um, actually later um, in my career when I first started out. I mean, I was a absolute workaholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably would sleep three hours, four hours, uh, only because um, I was proving to myself that I could obtain what I was visualizing. Um, but you got to have a balance. You're absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. And, and today, golf is that balance for me. Mm. I step away every Saturday morning from yeah. 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. I'm either playing golf, resting from golf, or watching golf, or all three. Oh, wow. <laughs> how, would you, how would you say that affected you, just getting three, four hours of sleep? Uh, well, actually, you know, I actually got trained for that because during my tragedy as a kid, I used to have nightmares, so I wouldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would see, you know, they would call it the boogeyman. I would see boogeyman at night. So when I went to sleep, I didn't want to go to sleep because I didn't want to see the boogeyman. Was that all the time or before? It was It was after my dad's, my dad's yeah. death. I would see them, you know, in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. So I would stay up. I would be in the bed and I wouldn't go to sleep or I would eventually fall asleep. So over time, I think I just became immune to not going to sleep. sleep. So even when I was in college, I, I would, you know, be walking on the campus with security guards at four, five or six o'clock in the morning. They would always say, "You know, man, you better, you gotta get some sleep. You, you're gonna, you're gonna fall asleep in class." But I would have already gone to sleep and woke up because I didn't want to stay to sleep. Long, so, oh wow! Did you ever fall asleep in class? Never. Wow. Never. After three or four hours of sleep, I. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I can. Uh... I mean, I don't recommend that. I'm just saying that's what happened. Know, to me and it became part of a pattern and then um but it's not healthy based mm-hmm. on medical standards yeah um but 
you know what? Sometimes unique people do unique things. Yeah. A yeah, lot of we, we are very, you know, it, it it's, uh, we feel bad, you know, you had to go through something like that. So oh, it's all part of, uh, I mean, if I had to rewrite the script, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the life that we are given uh, is already predestined, but we have to, we have to live it. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I could have turned out very bad. I could have been, you know, a whole different person. But um, I'm thankful that, um, you know, what I was taught uh, as a young man, uh, my great grandmother who raised me had more wisdom in one hand than most uh, Wikipedia postings or, uh, you know, searches on the Internet because she had come from a cycle during her life where she had seen so many things and she passed it on to me. And, uh, and the good thing about growing up in small towns, particularly when everyone has their hands on you, you actually believe what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And I did. I believed everything they told me. And so. All right. That's good. It's good having um, a mentor to watch over you, you know, a guardian. Was she, your, um, was she your motivation to becoming who you are? Yeah, uh, she absolutely was. My, my great-grandmother was a very, very special lady. Uh, one thing she would do that I still today cannot figure out and then I tell you a story of how she would grade my paper so fast. But every Christmas, my entire family would get gifts from her. Mm-hmm. She never wrote a name on a gift. She would wrap the gift and remember who that gift belonged to. And she never missed one family member, including newborns from my cousins or relatives. She, her brain was amazing. Right. Wow. <laughs> Did she like tell from the size or something? I, I don't know. Yeah, she, was- she knew what was in every box. And she didn't use the same wrapping paper, but she knew exactly who gift was in which box that was wrapped. Wow. And then, um, so when I would come home from school every day and I would sit at the table to do my homework, I was so anxious to go outside to play baseball. So I would rush to go through my homework and then she would check it. She would literally pick up the paper, look at it for two seconds, and she would put it down. She would say, one of them is wrong, fix it. And she would give it back to me. Like... I was like, I said, how could she, it's, it's two pages. How could she <laughs> check that fast? So she did this all the way through until I got graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to her when I graduated. I said, Grandma, um, how did you, you couldn't even read and write, but you, how could you grade my paper and tell me, I, and it was always one wrong mm-hmm. or two wrong. And she said, baby, if you was rushing to go out there to play with that ball, you made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And that was the wisdom she had. She knew that I was so anxious that I would make a mistake because I was rushing. And, and every time she was right. Yes. I, actually have, I have a question. Just, just based off what she said, um, not reading it right today in society, I believe they call it illiterate. So how, how, did, how do you pair that word? Do you feel like that's the word that you would use or you wouldn't use? Like, do you feel like it's an offense? No, I just think she was denied the opportunity. Mm. Uh, I, I, someone mentioned something the other day. Uh, they sent me a text message that actually says, um, Ms. McCormick, do you think slavery was involuntary separ- separation? No, involuntary relocation. Mm-hmm. And I said a very bad word. And I said, no, you know what, in front of the word, no. But because slavery was not involuntary, right? It was orchestrated and it was inhumane. There's no substitution to that. Mm-hmm. And part of the humane activities included being poor from your roots, poor from your family, poor from your culture. And then when you reach the destination, deny the ability to become a better person. So that's that's my answer. It's not a voluntary separation. It's slavery. 
Mm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will be taking another break. We shall return. Mr. McCormick, we'd like to formally show our appreciation and gratitude by saying thank you. We genuinely found admiration in what you have stood for, taught us, showed us, and grown us during our internship this summer. We were definitely looking forward to this conversation because in life, we never stop learning, and this was a continuous opportunity to do just that. You have been a very blessing to us all. It's been my pleasure. You guys have been just as much a blessing to me as I've been to you. I often say uh, the power of young people, your generation has the opportunity to do something that no generation has ever done, and that is to connect the dots globally at the speed of a touch of a finger. That was powerful. Like, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) Follow Mr. McCormick on Facebook at William McCormick, and you can find AmeriClaims at www.americlaimsbilling.com or on Instagram at americlaimsbilling. Follow us on Instagram at Solutions the Podcast to catch the latest news on when we will have our next podcast and when you can tune in to listen. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen, and goodbye. Goodbye.